With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. With a new podcast every day of the Premier League season, this is Football Social Daily. It's a full house for the Premier League in Europe. Manchester United, Chelsea, Liverpool and Manchester City all through to the knockout stages of the Champions League. Light work for Liverpool last night, whilst Pep beat Poch as PSG lost to City. Will Maurizio be in Manchester for a longer stay in the near future, or will he continue to play his poker face? West Ham are through in the Europa League, but no fans for the Hammers away from home tonight in Austria. We'll explain why shortly, and it might be a full house in the Champions League, but to complete the straight flush across the board, Leicester and Spurs need results tonight. The Foxes folded at the weekend, have the recent rumours on Rodgers being a joker in the pack. And the IFAB, the people who make football's laws, are considering extending half-time in the game by an extra 10 minutes and even talking up some Super Bowl-style entertainment at the break. Are fans ready to go all-in with that possibility or is it a case of mucking the idea altogether? This is Football Social Daily, your Premier League podcast with a new show each and every day of the season. My name's Niall and we've upped the ante for today's pundits. Pulling up a seat at the table, we've got Sports Social's Joel Tudor and Jim Salverson. Morning both. Morning. Oi, oi. Must be a West Ham match day. Jim Salverson is back in with an oi oi love to hear that um did you like my poker themed intro by the way i don't know why i went for poker but i just felt that it flowed quite nicely very good i'm i get a bit fed up of football being talked about like a game of chess oh it's a tactical game of chess so it's nice to mix up the sporting analogies are you much of a poker player joel um i used to be big on the facebook texas holden when i was nine <laughs> you shouldn't be playing gambling games when you're nine joel <laughs> listen listen i'm a millionaire now so it's fine <laughs> i'm more an uno man to be honest with you <laughs> nice and easy to understand definitely right we're going to leave the poker to one side we need to talk about the champions league two games involving english sides last night two of the Perceived title contenders in the Premier League this season. Manchester City played PSG. Liverpool played Porto. Both sides victorious, which means that all four English teams are now through to the knockout stages of the Champions League. So it's good news for the top flight in the Champions League. Let's focus on the game at the Etihad last night, though, when Manchester City beat Paris Saint-Germain by two goals to one, sending them through. Raheem Sterling scored one of the City goals Jim, he scored again after he scored against Everton at the weekend. Do you think he's beginning to fire up now? Because if you look at the statistics, only Rooney and Paul Scholes have more Champions League goals for an Englishman. He's level with Frank Lampard now with that strike against PSG last night, is Raheem Sterling. But he had a slow start to the season. There were rumours suggesting that he could leave in the summer. Those rumours haven't gone away, but he certainly feels like now he's starting to hit his strides a little more. Isn't that stat just evidence that he gets unfair criticism, Raheem Sterling? Because he does seem to always consistently <laughs> deliver. And he goes through. You mean like di- me calling him my villain on Monday's podcast? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, his finishing can be a little bit dubious at times. But in terms of what he offers on the pitch, and he offers more than goals. So the fact he's up there with Paul Scholes and Rooney and Lampard in terms of what he scores is credit to his overall game. But even when he's not scoring, he offers so much to a team in terms of 
running at the opposition, making space in the channels, deliveries into the box as well. He's definitely in the elite category of footballers. And I think Pep Guardiola has managed him really well. He does go through dips of form occasionally, and that's why he saw himself out of the team. And that's why there were those rumours suggesting he might leave, and he even made those noises himself. So I don't think you can ever doubt his commitment to the team, and I don't think you can ever doubt what he does deliver over a space of a season or a space of two seasons. But we are seeing him start to find those goals again, which is an important thing for City, particularly at the moment when they find themselves short of a striker. But... It's one of those, I mean, let's roll out the cliches early doors. Class is permanent, form is temporary. That's one of those things that applies so much to Raheem Sterling. And he got the goal last night, but was that the most important thing he did in the game? Probably not. It was a scrappy goal that he scored. And like you say, on Monday we were questioning his finishing, so maybe he's put those doubts to bed for another week or so, but I've no doubt they will come back again and people will be questioning his contribution. But for England and for Manchester City, undoubtedly he's a vital player for both. Everyone said yesterday, heading into this game, obviously there was loads of focus on Pochettino. We'll talk about Poch in a second, Joel. But in terms of the on-field battle between these two teams, everyone was saying PSG's front three, fearsome, Messi, Neymar and Mbappe. Those are the names that everyone reels off when you talk about Paris. But Manchester City have got plenty of good players. They played Alexander Zinchenko as a false number nine last night. They didn't have Kevin De Bruyne, one of the best players in England, and they still came away with the victory. I mean, does this just show that sometimes it isn't always about the individuals you've got in your team, but having a top quality coach can make a huge difference. And Pep Guardiola is undoubtedly that. He's got quality players. He's an excellent coach. And even when there are holes, obvious holes in his side, he still manages to come away with a win. Yeah, I think with the Paris Saint-Germain side, I feel like they're just the uncoachables. I don't think that front three can be coached into something that could actually win a Champions League unless you have a manager who's bigger than them. Because when I was watching that game last night, I was keeping my eye on that front three whenever City were in possession. And they just strolled about the pitch, walking around. They didn't cut any of the passing lanes out. They were just basically waiting for their players to muck up, get the ball, and then just let them do their own thing. But it doesn't work like that. When you've got seven other players having to battle for you, um, when you've got City who are really reliant on their full-backs overloading the wings constantly. I don't understand how a team is man- is meant to dominate a game that way, unless, like for example, I think the only joy they really got was when they were on the counter-attack against City because City dominated large portions of the game in terms of possession. Um, but when you when you just... The, the only problem PSG have is that they have three superstars up front and it's almost like an insult for them to have to tell them to defend. They're all, they, they, I think all three of them think they have a given right to be the ones who are up there waiting for the ball. They don't need to muck in or help their fullback out. And that caused them a lot of problems last night. I think I recall, for example, the only teams where it, it's worked is, for example, United's 08 side when Rooney said himself, like Ronaldo was the guy who we leave up front and that's fine because we know he's going to bail him out of out of games for us. But when you've got all three of your front three being that player, I don't understand how a team is meant to dominate like that way. And it just seems to Do me... Do you think part of the problem, Joel, is who they play on a week-by-week basis? Because PSG are absolutely walking legal at the moment, unquestionably, and they've got Mbappe, Neymar and Messi playing up front, and they can stroll through half those games. They don't have to get up to full pace. They can take it easy, they can bang in a goal and they can let the rest of the team do the work. It's not like Ronaldo, Rooney and Tevez playing up front for Manchester United where you needed Rooney and Tevez to do all the hard work to allow Ronaldo to kind of waltz around up front and bang in the goals when he wanted to. But they can do that in legal and they can do it week in, week out. So when they come up against Manchester City, aka one of the best teams in the world, it's a shock. It kind of requires a completely different mentality from the whole team. And it's really difficult to switch mentality from your domestic season to what you're doing in the Champions League. And I think it's probably one of the reasons that Premier League teams have done so well in the Champions League in recent years is they face the same intensity week in, week out, which PSG don't face at the moment. I think you could just level that at French football in general, though, Jim. Yeah, probably. They're in a bit of a mess at the moment with the fans trying to one-up each other, throwing bottles at players and trying to see who can be the most out there in terms of a fan base and stuff like that. I just think that if you're talking about top elite teams in Europe, how many of them come from the French League? One. Probably PSG is the <laughs> yeah. only one. And even them, they're kind of, they're not as good as City or Liverpool or even Chelsea. So, I mean, you're talking about 
probably a, a domestic issue within French football where they've got loads of money, PSG. But, but... that becomes a challenge, doesn't it? That becomes a challenge for them because they're not competing weekly. They're not forced. I mean, we've all been there in a situation where we've played sport at a level where you're playing a team that is not as good as you and you drop your performances to that level and you still win. But then to lift your performance back up again becomes difficult. And I'm sure it is different different for professional sportsmen. It must be easier for them to switch on and off. But at the same time, you can only... It's, it's, like, it's like PSG are constantly playing training sessions without competitive football. And I know that probably is a little bit insulting to legal, but I think also that is the reality of the situation, that the Champions League is so different to what they're facing on a weekly basis. It does become difficult for them to raise their game for the big occasions, even though they have these superstars playing for them. It's weird we're talking about PSG in these terms, really, because I think that just goes to show how good Manchester City have been. And when they are on it, they're very, very good. You know, they've only kind of had one off day this season and they were punished by Crystal Palace. And I guess that's kind of the debate we're having in a bit of a microcosm is that teams in the Premier League, like Crystal Palace, can knock you off your perch if you have a bad day. And they won 2-0 at the Etihad and they deserved it as well. But City weren't very good that day. PSG, you feel, can have an off day in the French League and still probably pick up the three points. And Gary Neville said this as well on TV not long ago, that it's almost as if the days where you can just throw a team out there and expect their quality to be the difference, those days are gone now. Teams are just too well coached. They're too well, you know, tactically aware of the situation and the game situation so it's too much of a it's 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 tough it's too difficult to just throw a team out there it's arrogance I think he mentioned in what he was saying but then again we can talk about Paris and naturally we're going to be drawn to the Pochettino conversation Joel we've spoken about him already this week as Manchester United still search for a new interim manager before going for a permanent one in the summer Pochettino's name has been thrown into the mix Obviously, he wasn't drawn on it in the pre-match press conference because this was a very important game for PSG in the context of their Champions League group. Suggesting like what you said, that front three are uncoachable. If he's unable to get a tune out of Messi, Neymar and Mbappe, how is he going to get a tune out of Ronaldo, Rashford, Sancho, etc, etc? I'm not saying that they're the same personalities, but Manchester United have big profiles of player in their squad. I know it's hard to judge on one performance, particularly off the back of last night, but... Do you think that that gives any concerns about Pochettino's ability to deal with the big personalities at United if he does actually go there? No, not at all. I think the culture difference between Paris Saint-Germain and how they're just set up as a club is just worlds apart from United. The way I see Paris Saint-Germain is just 11 individuals who are all there for their own individual purposes. I mean, no player when they're younger thinks, I want to play for Paris Saint-Germain. I mean, there's about 10 other big European sides I could name way before them. And that's not to say they're not ambitious, but I mean, Lionel Messi shouldn't be at Paris Saint-Germain full stop. The guy looks like a complete spare part in that seat, that team. He's not needed. They were playing way better football for me when they were under Thomas Tuchel and they just had Mbappe, Neymar. I feel like they were way more balanced. Um, they could press a little bit more aggressively considering Messi's the type of player where you just let him be free. You let him free roam, do what he needs to do. Whereas now you've got Neymar who wants the free roam. You've got Mbappe who wants the free roam. They've all got egos that are huge. Um, and I don't think, like I said in the last podcast, a, a manager managing PSG, you can't judge him on his time there just because it's a totally different ball game in that club where you're not in control of anything. The Leonardo's the dictator there who does all the sport inside. Calafi's the guy who is the face of all the transfers. The coach is just the coach and that's it. Like Thomas Tuchel, he he you know, he, he had a Neymar and um, Mbappe in his two seasons while he was there and he still didn't get far in the Champions League. Um, oh, sorry, he, he did in terms of getting to the final, but they were nowhere near in terms of winning it because Bayern were levels above them. Um, and they just never seemed to be able to cross the line. And I just think it's like you two have said, the levels they have to go up from Lejeune where they can literally treat it like an absolute doss about in a playground and <laughs> start doing all these little flipping Rabonas on the t on the goal line to try and get the goal of the month. Like It doesn't happen in the Champions League. You'll get found out. Um, like, as we saw last night, City were levels above them in terms of they just they, they were dominating possession. They knew exactly what they needed to do. And when you've got seven players that you're expected to do all your dirty work against City, you're never going to win. 
Um, and I don't think that's testament to Pochettino because a lot of great managers have came and tried at PSG and they've not been able to do it. Ancelotti's another one who wasn't able to do it. And he had, you know, Cavani in his peak, Zlatan Ibrahimovic in his peak. I'd say that Paris Saint-Germain team was really impressive. I enjoyed watching them, but he still couldn't do it in Europe. And I think it's just the fact that that club, and for me, even when Pochettino went to PSG, I was thinking, that doesn't, that, that's not a good fit for him. He needs a team where... It's got a good culture around it. Um, he's in control of a lot more things than he is right now. And he's not dealing with just a bunch of superstars. I know he's got Ronaldo. He would have Ronaldo at um, United. But it's a different ball game when you go to an English club. I feel like we're not, we're not, we haven't got teams that are catered just for superstars. It's a very collective culture. Whereas PSG, they're a brand full stop. They cater just for the superstars. They want to get their brand everywhere in the world. That's why they've got the most expensive front line in football who are paying crazy amounts every week for them. And it just doesn't work. It really doesn't work at well, all. They've also got those players because they want to win the Champions League. Yeah, but, and, uh, you but, know, having top quality players does go a long way to helping you win the Champions League. And, you know, if someone offered any manager a front three of Mbappe, Neymar and Messi... I challenge you to find anyone that would say no to that. And that's, I mean, regardless, of, regardless of your opinion. Yeah, I, I agree, Jim. But regardless of your, of your opinion on whether they're coachable or not, if you offered that front three to any manager in world football, they would take them because of how good they are. I know Man City get kind of compared to PSG quite a lot and they're, it's like the, 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 the natural resources derby or whatever it's called. And they're, kind of, <laughs> they're two super rich clubs, but they couldn't be more different in culture and yeah. style, could they, yeah, in terms of who they recruit in terms of players. And you look at that Manchester City team and you've got a team of players. Each one has been brought in to do a job effectively. And yeah, they are amongst the best at doing that individual job, but they're brought in to play a system. Whereas PSG are bought in because their names and sell shirts, which is kind of the situation they find themselves in with this brilliant front three. And as you say, it'd be very difficult for any manager in the world to go, no, I don't want Lionel Messi or I don't want Kylian Mbappe in my team. But they don't necessarily work as a front three. They don't sort of necessarily make sense in footballing terms. And you look at City last night and the way they approached that game. And I think this has maybe been a story of City through a few games this season. They approach a game... And it's almost like they don't, it's almost like it takes them a while to work out what they're doing. It's like they assess the game as they go through it. And whether that's the players or the pitch or, the, or Gradiola as an individual, they're looking at the scenario. They're constantly changing how they're approaching the game, the formations they're playing, the way they're approaching it, the way they're moving forward. And it's kind of like they're working together as a team to solve the problem that's in front of them. And I don't think you'd see any evidence of that with PSG. It would be a case of we're going out, we're playing our game. It might work, it might not work. I agree. City, I think, are miles above PSG. And although PSG do have the players and the quality who could possibly beat them in a one-off result, honestly, I think City are better than PSG. They're ahead of PSG in, in most departments for me. I'd agree with that. And they got the win last night as well. Maurizio Pochettino, though, in Manchester, staying at the Lowry Hotel like one former Manchester United manager. Will he be the next one? We'll wait and see, of course. The latest reports suggest that Manchester United have also sounded out some other options for this interim role, which we think uh, might be a six-month or so position until the summer, and maybe Pochettino might be the option in the summer. If that's to be the case, we'll let you know, of course, here on Football Social Daily. Now, talking of well-oiled machines, how good did Liverpool look last night against a Porto side who, it's fair to say, were played off the park, really, by Jurgen Klopp's side. The Reds won two goals to nil, comfortably sending them through to the next stages of the Champions League this season. And I want to talk about the goal that Thiago scored, Jim. It was a lovely goal, beautiful technique. The ball came out to him from a corner and he stormed onto it and he got his knee over the ball perfectly and volleyed it into the ground and obviously pitches now the grass is often watered it's skimmed up off the surface almost like a grass cutter made it really difficult for the goalkeeper went into the side netting brilliant strike makes it um, a bit more comfortable for Liverpool that was a really good goal and there's no doubt he's a really good player used to play for some top clubs Bayern Munich Barcelona do you think he's been a little underwhelming though since his arrival at Liverpool or is that a little bit harsh maybe I think it is slightly harsh, potentially, but at the same time, I don't think the goal he scored last night against Porto, as good as it was, kind of answers any of those questions. Every time a new player comes into the Premier League, 
particularly when it's a big name signing from La Liga or Serie A, we kind of make the same early call and we expect loads of players when they come to the Premier League that they hit the ground running and very, very rarely does it happen that a player can replicate their form in a different league when they come to the Premier League and vice versa as well, players going from the Premier League to Spain or Italy or whatever. It does take a while for them to adapt and settle into the way a game is played in a different league and I think that's kind of been the case with Thiago and particularly when you factor in the injuries that he's had it's probably taken him a little longer to settle than Liverpool would have liked and many people would have expected. But undoubtedly, he is a good player. I think that's proved in the fact that Barcelona want him back at the moment. That's according to reports at the moment. He's keen to stay in the Premier League, but Barcelona are making inquiries. If he can chip in with the odd goal every now and again, like last night, that's brilliant. But I think what Liverpool need him to do isn't necessarily score the goals because they've got that in the bag. They've got a front three that have got goals for days. Thiago's job is being in the middle of the park keeping the midfield ticking, being that metronome, connecting the defence and the attack. And that's something that's really hard to judge on whether a player does it effectively, particularly when you're just watching highlights. If you're watching every 90 minutes of football, you probably get a sense for that. But when you are just watching Match of the Day or I didn't watch the whole game last night, I've seen the match highlights, that's kind of it. It's really difficult to know whether a player is doing that efficiently. You just have to look at the shade that a player like De- that's thrown at a player like Declan Rice, who undoubtedly is one of the best players in the league at the moment, by the way. But people often go, oh, I don't get it. I don't understand what he does. You don't get it if you just see highlights. You do get it if you watch an entire 90 minutes of football. And I think that's the kind of situation Thiago Yeah, it's not like in. Match of the Day are going to show 10 minutes of Declan Rice no, exactly. oh, people. That's, that's a really well-judged <laughs> interception. Let's put it on a highlights reel. It doesn't yeah, happen. Yeah. It's about reading a game and it's about connecting play, which is what Thiago does for Liverpool. So, yeah, I think he is kind of settling in, but I don't think that's because he's scoring goals. I think it's because... And you see it with the way a player like Salah's playing at the moment. Because for Salah, Mane, Jota, Firmino, whoever it is up front to fire properly, they need a midfield that is functioning properly. And Thiago is 100% part of that for Liverpool. He was always going to be a football player, wasn't he, Thiago? I mean, he was born in Italy. His parents are Brazilian and he represents Spain <laughs> national team because <laughs> he grew up there. So it was always going to be a chance. <laughs> yeah, it's always going to be a chance. He's going to do something football themed uh, as his career. Um, Liverpool's win means they're through, Joel, which means, as I said at the top of the show, all four English teams are through in the Champions League. Chelsea, Manchester United, Manchester City and Liverpool. The strength of the Premier League is undoubted, really. We know how good the domestic league is in this country. Do you think that there'll be another English Champions League winner this season? Chelsea, the defending champions, they'll look to be the first team to defend it back-to-back since 1992 when the Champions League era began. And of course, Liverpool, we know how good they are, won it in recent seasons. United have history in the competition and City looking to win it for the first time. So all four teams have motives, incentives. Do you think we'll see another Premier League winner of the Champions League this season? Maybe not a winner, but I definitely think there'll be at least one or two uh, in the semi-finals at least. I think we're in an era now where it was quite similar to the kind of 08 to 2010 where an English side was constantly making an appearance in the either in the semis or the final. But I think we're in a we're in a period where, for example, when the Spanish teams were completely dominating the Champions League in the early 2010s I think we're in that kind of space now where the English sides have just really gone up a pace from all the foreign sides apart from maybe Bayern Munich um, I don't really see that much of a threat from any of the other teams and I think that's just the case of the fact that all the major uh, all the major foreign sides who are always a threat like Real Madrid and Barcelona they've lost one big thing and that's the greatest players ever who were constantly allowing them to keep pace with everyone um, especially Barcelona, they look like they're about to go into the wilderness and then obviously Real Madrid don't look like they have that cutting threat that they did when they were under Zidane. Um, and for me, the English sides are the English side's biggest threats are themselves. I mean, I think Liverpool would rather play Real Madrid, Barcelona or Bayern instead of City in the semi-final or the final. Um, and I think that's just kind of testament to how well coached all the... Premier League sides are and how much money is getting pumped into these sides as well Um, because when you look at the Premier League now I think the quality has gone up a crazy amount especially for the top four uh, but also the bridging of the gap from the mid-table sides as well who are constantly causing threats Um, and I think that's making the the bigger sides go up a level every single week 
So I think it's a good period for the English sides right now in Europe. Um, and I think for sure we probably will see another English side either make it to the final or at least win it just because I'd, there's a huge bulk in quality difference um, between any of the foreign teams that I can see. But saying that, City, we always say every single season, oh, they're on for a quadruple. Now they're on for a double. Oh, okay, they're going to win the <laughs> Premier League. Um, so I really don't think that they're going to win it again this year. It just doesn't seem to happen for Guardiola unless he's got Messi in his side. Um, so I think for me, the favourites... You can't rule out Chelsea again. I mean, they've kind of gone up a level, obviously, now that they've got Lukaku in the side. Uh, but I think Liverpool is probably the one that I would pick as the favourite out of all of the English sides. Just because they just look really well oiled this year. Um, and Salah's gone up a level. You always need that one talisman in your side when you win a Champions League. And I think he's going to be the guy for them this year. Um, whereas Chelsea... I don't think they'll retain it. I really can't see them retaining it. Um, particularly just because Lukaku's a guy who I wouldn't rely on f- for the big games, for the big trophies. He's the guy who ticks you away in the league, but I don't. I wouldn't put my money on him taking me to a Champions League final. Um, and obviously United, well, I mean, I don't really know who the hell's in charge right now, so we'll just leave it there. But uh, yeah, it's a, good, it's, it's, a good, it's a good period for the English sides. And obviously these periods don't last long. The foreign sides always eventually bridge the gap again, and it's always it's always like a very it's like a ticking time clock, isn't it? Where it just the pendulum just shifts constantly. But I think for the next few years, it's a really good era for the for English football, and I think I wouldn't even be surprised if it's like three or four in the semi-finals because the quality is great at the moment. Yeah, it's certainly going well for English teams in the Champions League. It's going okay for the Premier League sides, though, in the Europa and the Europa Conference League, respectively. West Ham are through. They play Rapid Vienna tonight. Tottenham face LS Mura and Leicester City face Legia Warsaw. Two of those results important to Leicester and Spurs, respectively. West Ham, nothing to worry about. Easy breezy for them. They're through to the next round. We'll talk about those games next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Sports Social's Football Social Daily, part of the Sports Social Podcast Network, which you can check out on our website, sport-social.co.uk. When you get onto that webpage, just hit the podcast tab at the top of the screen and you'll find loads of great podcasts to get your ears around, including the analyst Simon Hughes has joined the Sports Social Podcast Network. You can check out his new show, Ahead of the Ashes. Loads of stuff going on in the world of cricket, both both positive and negative. So make sure you get stuck into that if you are a cricket fan. And also, so if you're a supporter of any of the Premier League teams, loads of fan casts to get your ears around as well, to get the views from the stands. But for now on Football Social Daily, there won't be any fans in the stands at Rapid Vienna tonight. Now, you're a West Ham supporter, Jim. It's a shame, but do you think it's the right core? And do you think and can you explain just exactly why there's no West Ham fans there tonight? Well, there's two reasons there aren't West Ham fans there. One is, I think it was reportedly racist chanting from the stands I do you know I'm not entirely sure on the full details of why it actually happened but I think it was racist chance and they were called up out uh, called up on by UEFA and if that is the case then 100% it is the right call and I think football needs to take strong stands against this behavior and banning away fans from games is the right move to make and if it goes Beyond that, then they have to take more significant punishment. And repeat offenders need more significant punishment. I just think it needs to be uniform across football rather than spot cases here and there because there doesn't seem to be a whole uh, deal of consistency going on around this stuff. The other reason that West Ham fans aren't there is the same reason there'll be no fans there because Austria's just gone into a national lockdown. So there will be no fans in any football matches in Austria for the foreseeable future. So it's kind of like a bit of one of those punishments where you go, well, you can't go. Well, I couldn't go anyway. So it's a little bit meaningless, ultimately, this punishment. I think some of the Hammers fans are also banned for scuffles outside of London Stadium in the reverse fixture. Right, okay. Am I right in thinking that? I think there was a bit of violence between the two sets of supporters as well, and I think UEFA were quite keen to stamp that out pretty quickly. But yeah, as you say, anti-Semitic chanting um, in one of the recent games that West Ham had, and therefore their punishment, as you say, was 
to have supporters banned from travelling to Austria. But you're right, there is a national lockdown there, so there's no fans tonight inside the stadium. So there's a little bit of moaning from the West Ham powers that be about the nature of the ban and the fact they hadn't been given enough notice because it was only announced, I think... I think it was beginning of last week UEFA said that away fans would not be able to travel to this game. And my kind of reaction to that is, well, it's a punishment. You don't need to give notice. And yes, it is punishing the fans that have behaved as much as the fans that have misbehaved. But I think part of these punishments, part of the idea that you ban ill-behaving fans from stadiums is that to a certain extent... and. Yeah, there is a responsibility to football clubs, there is a responsibility to authorities as well to make sure fans behave. But there's also an element that fans kind of need to self-police to a certain extent. So they need to be calling out, if there is anti-Semitic chanting in a football ground, it should be called out by the fans that are in there who don't agree with that chanting, which hopefully is the majority. So I, I, I kind of get what the club was saying, that there will be honest good fans that had their tickets and had their travel arranged to go to Vienna for this game that were punished last minute because it was cancelled and the club have refunded tickets, but it would have been a job to get flights, etc, etc, refunded. But that's kind of the point at the same time. You've got to punish everyone because it's got to encourage good behaviour across the board. And that's got to be from fans as a mass rather than necessarily individuals. Just finally, then, we'll get this one out of the way because, as we said, it's a bit of a dead rubber compared to the other two teams from the Premier League playing in Europe tonight. Antonio is missing for West Ham. Is that much of a concern for you as a supporter? Obviously, David Moyes is going to want a response from his players, regardless of the fact you're already through because of the loss to Wolves at the weekend. Yeah, I mean, he's always going to be a miss when he's not playing, but he's not injured. That's the most important thing. He's simply being rested. We've got Manchester City on Sunday, got yeah. Brighton on Wednesday. Fixtures coming thick and fast, so... No David point Moyes playing him in a dead rubber, is there? Yeah, exactly. Why risk Antonio? Why risk Fabianski as well? He won't even be on the squad that's going out to <laughs> Austria. So uh, there's plenty of options in that squad. We are thin on the ground in terms of personnel, but there are people that can play in the place for Fabianski. Ariola's been very good in Europe, as in terms of up front for Antonio. Bowen's been a popular choice. Yarmolenko can play there. I think he's fit again. Vlasic, I think he needs a little bit more game time to settle into this. And... West Ham need one point from the next two games in order to top the group and you'd fancy that was going to happen at some point so why risk players you don't need to OK West Ham through they face Rapid Vienna away from home tonight in the Europa League a much more important game though for Leicester City who take on Legia Warsaw at King Power Stadium huge for them in terms of their group and qualification to the next round they've still got to face Napoli away as well Legia beat Leicester in the reverse leg they are the reigning Polish champions from Warsaw Leicester lost at the weekend too to Chelsea. No shame in losing to Chelsea, but at times, Joel, they seemed all at sea. They were overrunning the midfield and so many times on Football Social Daily in the past, we've spoken about how good Leicester's midfield is and some of the quality they've got. It was very unlike a Rodgers side at the weekend. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I've been quite disappointed with Leicester this season, um, especially in Europe, just because it's no God-given right that you're going to be able to qualify for Europe every single year, especially with like the competition that continues to keep those positions really competitive. Um, but I definitely wouldn't put it down to, you know, the fact that he's linked with the United job or anything because they've been on bad form for quite a good good amount of time at the moment. I mean, they lost to Arsenal uh, a week before that. They drew to Leeds and they were really poor in that game. Um, I think the last good result that they really had was the 4-2 against United in mid-October, really. Um and I think in Europe, I was going to say, like, have they treated it with enough respect? But to be fair, they've been fielding very strong sides in Europe. It's just, it's like they just can't seem to get going in terms of motivation, you know, and the atmosphere is quite flat and it's against Legia Warsaw. And, but it's, it's strange because now they find themselves in their group with one win out of four and they need results to go their way um, to even get out, to even possibly finish second, uh, considering Napoli and Spartak Moscow play each other as well, and they're both top of the group. Um, and it seems as though Leicester are kind of suffering from a bit of a hangover from the last two seasons of constant progress, constant momentum, um, because the, he's progressed aside constantly for the last two seasons. Like Obviously, they won an FA Cup as well. Um, but... I definitely put it down to the fact that they're missing a couple of key individuals and one is Fofana. 
Um, I think he's a massive miss in their defence considering how secure he was. And I think it was testament to the clubs he was getting linked with after that season. I think like Real Madrid were potentially interested and I think Chelsea were interested as well. And that just shows how how much he's progressed under Rodgers in, in just that first season alone. Um, but I think for Leicester, um, it's hard to gauge what they're actually looking to do this season because... Obviously now it feels as though West Ham have kind of took their took their position that they were looking at last season in terms of they're the ones who have got the momentum, they're the ones who are looking to improve and have improved from last season. It seems as though Leicester are falling off a tiny bit, um, especially you know with Vardy getting a little bit older um, and other players needing to step up on the plate. But I mean, this, this opportunity in the Europa League was such a big, big chance for them. Um, especially next season if they wanted to continue to qualify for Europe because like, don't forget Leicester were a relegation side only about five or six years ago and now they're suddenly one of the sides who are automatically thought of as being one of the top seven sides in the league and that's you know obviously that's an amazing achievement but you still need to continue to progress in that area and it just seems to me as though they're suffering from a major hangover from the constant pressure of having to maintain that position but I really don't see them getting out of that um, actually to be fair they have a decent option because it's at home isn't it and Napoli if they beat Sparta and Moscow then Leicester end up going through so they do have a good chance but I mean I don't put my money on them doing that just because the teams in the Europa League this is like their cup finals for them like this is what they've been waiting for the whole year and for Leicester for me it just seems like another game where the Premier League is kind of the priority and I, I feel like they should have approached it in the way West Ham have approached it, which is it's it's an amazing opportunity. Yeah, I definitely think that the start they made in Europe, drawing 2-2 with Napoli, wasn't the worst start. But then losing the game to Legia and, you know, also having some difficult results as well uh, elsewhere has been not easy for them. So I was going to ask you, Jim, whether it's possible that Leicester's equilibrium, so to speak, has been disrupted a little bit due to the links with Rodgers to Manchester United and all of that speculation, but it's probably fair to say that they've looked a little bit off it even before those rumours started circulating. Yeah, I think, as Joel said, it's been a long time that Leicester City, since the beginning of the season, they've looked off the pace. It's not just the links with City or the links with Manchester United for Rodgers that have kind of thrown them off balance. And again, Joel's kind of highlighted that there. I think there's two main reasons they've not really been at the paces this season. One is... We've been expecting it for a while, but Vardy is slowing down in terms of his quality. His powers are waning slightly and he's not rescuing them on those occasions that he might have done in previous seasons. And the other one, and this is huge credit to a player who's only 21, Fafana has been an absolutely huge miss for Leicester City this year. They've leaked goals in the Premier League, conceded 21 goals across 12 games, and that is a real problem for them. And they have the problem that a lot of teams of their size have when they are trying to reach that next level is they haven't got the squad depth necessarily to cope with that level of injuries and I think that's what it mainly comes down to for Leicester City unlike Joel however I do think Leicester City will qualify from this group they are bottom at the moment but it's so tight I think if they win tonight they go from bottom to top it's going to go down to the final match day so I think we will see them do enough in order to get through to the next stage of the Europa League but they need to find form and they need to find it quickly. Well, that final match day is Napoli away, so it's not going to be easy, um, especially mm. as Napoli have been very good in Serie A this season for the main part of it. So Leicester against Legia in the Europa League tonight, switching from the Europa League to the Europa Conference League, and Mura take on Tottenham. Now, we won't get into the nuts and bolts of Mura, where they come from and how good they are, but Spurs are currently second in the group. Stad Ren are top of the group, the Liga side. This should be routine for Spurs, right, Joel? Another chance for Conte to look at what he has, really. I totally forgot about this uh, this competition. <laughs> yeah, um, Conference League. Where do we start? Um, yeah, so I think yeah, the second in the in the table. I think it's a, the way I see this competition for Spurs, and I think the way Conte's seeing it is just an experimentation. It's an it's an opportunity to see how he should fit these plays into his plans for when he actually has the the bigger fish to fry which is actually going for the Premier League positions um, it's not necessarily like a trophy that's going to be desired I don't know how far you would kind of fit it in terms of uh, is it as big as the Carabao Cup is it as big as the FA Cup in terms of stature I don't really know 
Um, obviously, I think the winner gets an automatic position into the Europa League, which I don't think Tottenham will have too much trouble getting in the Premier League anyway. Um, so I think it's it's just an experimentation phase for, for Tottenham. They should definitely qualify out of that group. And to be fair, they probably got the more trickier group than they could have got. I mean, Ren, Rene is a, is a decent French side. Vitesse Arnhem is a decent Dutch side. But of course, Tottenham should be blowing all of these sides out of the water regardless. Um, but I think it's just a great opportunity to kind of allow Conte to uh, dictate what where he wants this side to go and test for for the for the weekend because on a Thursday night I don't think he really wants to be fielding like his fully strength sides but saying that on his first uh, game a couple of weeks ago which was a conference league game he did field a pretty strong side and you know he started Harry Kane he started Son um, I don't know if that was just to kind of please the Tottenham fans so he didn't go away with like a, a loss on his first game um, and it was quite a, an enthralling game as well what did they finish like 4-2 4-3 um, so yeah, it was a it was a great game. Involved two red cards. I mean, not characteristic of a, t- a Conte side at all. Um, but yeah, I think it should be a routine achievement to get out of that group. And then from then on, I think Conte will start to potentially prioritize it based on how far he thinks they can get. Because I think for Tottenham, just getting a trophy is just something that that club needs in general to kind of kickstart things a little bit because it's just missed them for so many years. And regardless of how important this trophy is, it's it's a European trophy. Um, it guarantees p- a place in the Europa League, so it, it adds less pressure, I guess, on the league to the, to a certain extent. Um, and Harry Kane can finally say he's won something. <laughs> well, it's the first ever Europa Conference League trophy, so that'll certainly be one for the history books. If Tottenham do win it, they'll need to get a result against Mura tonight, though, for sure. That's it for the European discussion. Next on Football Social Daily, we'll be talking about half-time. Yeah, it's all a bit strange at the moment. We'll do it next after this. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily, final part of today's show. Don't forget, if you don't want to miss an episode of the podcast, of which there is a new one every day of the Premier League season, then hit subscribe or follow on whichever podcast platform you use, and that way you'll be notified straight away as soon as a new episode is ready. So, football's lawmakers, the IFAB, have suggested the potential for a 25-minute long half-time. Currently, half-time's 15 minutes, but allegedly this 10-minute extension could be introduced in the near future, including the potential to feature some Super Bowl-style half-time entertainment. What do you reckon, Jim? Is this a good or a bad idea for you? Is this something fans want, do you think? I challenge you. In fact, I'll lay it out to the Football Social Daily listeners. I challenge anyone to find me a fan who thinks 25-minute breaks in football are a good idea because you will not find a single one I don't think I disagree with you I don't think 25 minutes half time is a bad idea I think the bad idea is this Super Bowl style entertainment well you've got to feel 25 minutes summer if you're going to have a 25 minute break haven't you I tell you what yeah, they do go to down do. to the concourse have a pie have a beer because by the time you've queued up to get your food and drink and finish your pint at half time, the game's already re-kicked off again. Well, sort and the I think that that's, out then. that's part <laughs> don't of it. Sort, don't sort <laughs> the amount just, of... Everyone's got to build bigger stadiums then. Well, I, I think it's the amount of... I don't know. I, look, it, there's, there's only one reason that they're looking for a 25-minute halftime break, and that is commercially. Because 25-minute halftime, think of it outside the stadium. It doesn't necessarily mean more time for a break in the game. It means more time for incredibly valuable advertising spots on television, which puts up those television rights deals. That'll be forefront of these plans. That'll be why they're doing it. So I think that is the driving factor here. And look, 25 minutes, it's probably not that much different to those who are in a stadium. It's 10 minutes difference. And as you say, they're occupying themselves, having pies and pints and pisses and whatever it is that else begins with P that you can do at halftime during a football match. But it does feel like it would disrupt the flow of the game. It allows muscles to get that little bit cooler for players. I'm sure there'll be various technological solutions and muscle warmers and heated seats that prevent that happening, but it does feel like it would disrupt it for me. As for the halftime entertainment, I mean, we've tried it before, that US-style entertainment in games, and it just doesn't really work in English football. It just feels a little bit awkward. I remember back in the day at West Ham, we had the Hammerettes, 
that used to uh, <laughs> used to dance on the pitch before the match, and it was all a little bit cringy, and it was a little bit uh, misogynistic as well. To be yeah. honest with you, a lot of oh, the time, God. it just doesn't the really would get quite... absolutely pummeled by supporters, wouldn't it? Wouldn't they? Yeah, and you look at what Manchester City have a good go at doing pre-match and post-match entertainment at Manchester City, and they do a decent job of it. They have bands, they have music, they have DJs and whatnot, but still you get the old-school fans who are really like, this isn't what football should be. So it's always going to get pillared, and going the full bells and whistles and fireworks and marching bands and cheerleaders that US sports tend to have i just can't see going down a well going down particularly no. well I, yeah it's not it's not for me this 25 minute break i don't see a need for the change other than yeah. commercially and do you know what football probably makes enough money as it is anyway it's one of those things where if it's not broken don't fix it and we say that a lot on this podcast and 15 minutes half time is is fine it's what it's always been why are we needing to change it there's nothing wrong with half time as you say jim it feels more of a commercial driven decision if this one is to be taken in the near future. I think in terms of how it affects fans and the, and the fan experience, I don't think the entertainment is something I can get on board with, but extending half time to 20 minutes instead of 15 is not something I'm adverse to because uh, sometimes it takes a bit of time for the fans to get back into their seats for the second half. And it's just one of those things where I think an extra five minutes wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. I think though, for the players, we need to think about them, Joel, because an extra five minutes or 10 minutes in this case for half time might not be too bad for the fans. But what about the players? How will it affect games? Because 25 minutes is a long time not to be playing any football. So you need to probably go and do another warm up before getting back out there for the second half. What's your take? Well, I think the first people that came to mind for me was the managers, just because I've heard so many times how, you know, when they're about to go in for half time, they're already trying to plan ahead because 15 minutes is just no amount of time at all to kind of get the thoughts onto the paper and deliver it to all the players. Obviously, it would change a lot of things in terms of maybe after the 25 minutes, they need like a five minute warm up or that kind of thing to actually get the get the bodies going again. Um, but you know, maybe it will affect matches for the better where they actually come out a little bit more fresher um, or a little bit more energised. But to be honest, with this kind of thing, I think the older football fans, they see English football as like this sacred thing that can't be touched or changed. Um, but I think change is good, although it's always the most difficult thing to do, especially in, in something like this, which is so established and it's just been so set in its ways for a long time. But if I would like kind of counter that, or actually, to be honest, I would favour it just because it takes so long at Old Trafford just to get downstairs and let alone get a drink. Um, so 25 <laughs> minutes is perfect for me. Um, but what I would say is that... Well, let's alter change the it, rules for Joel. Anything else you need changing, Joel? <laughs> just to make yes, football yes, more I would, convenient I would, for you? I would like a, new, I'd like a new manager at United as well, please. <laughs> Manchester United with a two-goal head start every game. <laughs> I don't know if we'll even win after that. Um, but no, what I would say is that I think football is the only sports in the world that allows time wasting on ridiculous levels. Because I think I remember seeing a report where the time wasting, as in the time in play, the ball that is in play, is something like 25, 30 minutes out of a 45 minute half. So for me, if there was anything that needs to be changed, it's the fact that you can maybe reduce the halves by to like 40 minutes, say, and for those extra five minutes, you use it as stop clock whenever time wasting occurs. Just because for the fans, I think we should see more football and lesser people on the floor waiting, stop and start. It just doesn't allow games to flow. And maybe it would change the players' mentality when that actually happens. But yeah, for this, I mean, of course, the main, the main agenda and the main incentive is money. Um, so wherever the money is, that's where football will follow. Some radical takes from Joel Tudor there on Football Social Daily. That's what I'm here for. What are we saying then, Jim? Overall, do the cons outweigh the pros? Is this just one of those throwaway stories that you see pop up every now and again? I think I've kind of made my opinions pretty clear. I think it's not something that I want to see in football. But will it be something we do see in football? Probably, because if it means the opportunity to make more money, I can just see it happening because that seems to be the direction that football is going in. It's really interesting what Joel says about the value 
of football you get out of a half and stoppage time. But it's kind of a it's a different issue to this, isn't it? This is a complete stop down. And I actually quite like the pressure of 15 minutes that it puts on a team and it puts on a manager because football is all about pressure and how you react to it. So why should a manager be given 25 minutes to get their thoughts as to what they need to do in the second half rather than those 15 minutes? And that momentum... So who, that, gave, who gave this like magical 15-minute figure? Who who knows? I mean, it's from like why fifteen? Like, is it proven that it's enough time to kind of rest, or well, actually, is it just a, pl- a figure that they plucked out? Of oh, the air? it I'm wouldn't have sure been that... done scientifically when fifteen minutes was introduced. It what? must have been like that for hundreds of years, surely. So what? maybe a surely oh. needs a bit of readdressing. I've got, I've got a feeling, and this is being plucked from right at the back of my brain, so it could be absolute rubbish. But I've got a feeling the fifteen minutes half time was introduced alongside television coverage. Because it was a good That's opportunity nothing to, to do get with recovery in three ad breaks. or anything like that. No, I don't think so. I might be completely wrong on that, but I've got a feeling. We'll have to do some research on that. I think it is purely because if you want to get three ad breaks into a television half time, then fifteen minutes it is makes, the ideal yeah, opportunity to do that. I might be completely wrong on that. So it, it, I mean, if you, if you go to a Sunday league game, you don't get fifteen minutes half time, do you? You get enough time for a sip of water and orange, and you're back out there straight away. So I don't know. Yeah, it, it could be it could be driven by that anyway, but. Yeah, I like I like the pressure of 15 minutes and I like the momentum that a winning team can have. The fact that a last minute goal on the 45th minute just for half time can completely change a half time te- team talk and can swing the momentum of a game another way. So the play, the team that have just scored come out still buzzing from that 15 minutes and they hit the ground running. I like that about football. I wouldn't want to see it changed. But will it change? Yeah, probably. Here's the rules as defined on the FA's website, Law 7, the duration of the match. Players are entitled to an interval at halftime not exceeding 15 minutes. A short drinks break is permitted at the interval of halftime and extra time. But competition rules must state the duration of the halftime interval and it may be altered only with the referee's permission. So effectively, according to the rules of the game, if the Premier League turn around and decide that they want to make half time half an hour or four minutes they're entitled to according to these rules yeah, so it's not like the fifth amendment where it's set in stone by the law like it can be changed and this is what i mean i think change can be good for football in these areas because like these laws were made years ago and it's still not been challenged to this day because it just seems like it's such a sacred amount of time and we can't alter it well why not I think we got bigger issues in football than how long half time is, though, don't you think? <laughs> well, Jack? you brought up the topic now. <laughs> <laughs> We'd have to do another hour long podcast, which unfortunately we can't do. But we can do a podcast every day of the Premier League season. That's what we do do here on Football Social Daily. So hit subscribe and that way you won't miss one. Of course, Premier League action back on the agenda this weekend after a week's worth of European fixtures. Joining me will be Dean Hammond and Trevor Stephen, two former Premier League professionals on The Dugout, which is our preview show. Looking forward to the week action if you hit subscribe you won't miss that one that'll be released friday evening or maybe a little bit later than that wherever you are in the world that's it for today catch you next time on football social daily football social daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode only four percent of universities in the u.s are r1 research institutions and temple university is one of them This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.